I am proud to welcome you to episode 100 of the Juicebox Podcast. This episode is Bold with Insulin Revisited. I'm going to go back and listen to episode 11 from the podcast, and while I'm listening to it, I'm going to talk over top of it. It should either be amazing or really irritating. We'll find out soon. My concept here is this. When I reach out to you guys and I ask what episodes have been the most valuable to you in a, you know, a, a day-to-day diabetes way, not so much hearing people's stories, but like real nuts and bolts stuff, you guys always kind of come back with the same handful of episodes to say, these are the ones that, you know, I love all the episodes you say. Thank you, by the way. But these are the ones where I really started thinking, I want to listen to this podcast or, hey, I think I can make a change. And so I'm going to go back, joking aside about the talking over myself, and I'm going to listen to episode 11 because if I'm being honest with you, I don't remember what I said in episode 11. But you guys seem to love Bold with Insulin so much that I'm going to go back, I'm going to listen to it, and when I have something to say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say it. And I'll, you know, I'll stop the other audio track and we'll talk about it a little bit. Basically, it's sort of a, I don't know what to call it really, a commentary track. You ever see that in a movie where like a director sits down and watches this movie and goes, huh, when I said that originally, I didn't even know what I was doing. But now in hindsight, I'm going to do something like that. And I think it's going to be valuable. I think it's going to be amazing. And I think it's a great way to start off the next hundred episodes of the Juice Box podcast, because we have so many episodes at this point, new people are coming on every day. It's probably unreasonable to think they're going to go back to episode 11. They can, and some of you do. Some of you are fantastic. You go back and you just power listen through the whole show, which is amazing. But my goal here is twofold. I want new listeners that come on to say, to have the same experience that you had. Uh, you know, guys who've been around for a while. Uh, guys, guys, hey, you guys, guys and girls who've been around for a while. You fellas have been listening to the podcast for some time. You know, people who've been around with the podcast since the beginning, you know why you're here now. But when new listeners come in, I want them to get that same feeling, and I want them to have the information that you have that you tell me is so valuable. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is this. I tell you all the time that the process of me making the podcast is teaching me things. And so I want to go back and hear, what did Scott think a year and a half ago? And how much differently do I think about it now? Or is this the real staple of my type 1 diabetes management theory? Like, is this just something that's concrete? It has not changed. We're going to find out together. Hopefully, this is going to be one to remember. And you know what? While we're talking here, before it all starts out, let's remember two other things. I might sound stupid. I've probably gotten better at this uh, in 100 episodes. And we are sponsored today by Dexcom and Omnipod. And I want to thank them greatly for continuing to support the podcast. All right, here we go. Episode 100 before of the Juice Box Podcast. Brief Bold with insulin. The medical information Revisited. on this podcast and on Ardensday.com is provided as an information resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This information is not intended to be patient education and should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Wow, I quickly boiled that down to nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast. Should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. You can find the full version of this disclaimer by going to Ardensday.com or JuiceBoxPodcast.com. Oh my God, I am not going to shut up. I'm just scrolling to the bottom. Oh, scroll to the bottom. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast since it started, welcome back. And if you are a new listener, thank you for joining us. Let me introduce myself real quickly. Uh, My name is Scott Benner. 
I am the father of a little girl named Arden who has type 1 diabetes. Arden was diagnosed when she was two years old and is just about ready to turn 11. I write the diabetes parenting blog called Arden's Day, which you can find at ardensday.com. Also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Oh my God, Scott, stop plugging and get to the podcast. If it's social media and it's Arden's Day, I think it's probably me. Okay. Welcome to episode 11 of the Juice Box Podcast. I appreciate you coming by. Today we are going to talk about insulin. So there's not going to be any guests on this episode, although you may hear Basil snoring in the background. Basil is Arden's little eight-month-old puppy, um, who she named after her Basil rate. And uh, he is sound asleep and snoring away. If you hear him, I apologize. Ironically, basal snoring is one of the things people write in the most about. They're like, I love hearing basal snore. I, I don't like it. It's hard. It's distracting for me. Okay. So I want to talk about insulin because it's the main component to a lower A1C and lower blood sugars in general. And I'm um, going to speak just from my personal experience. Again, nothing here is advice. And um, you certainly should talk to your doctor before trying anything that you may hear here. Hear, here. I hate when I say hear, here, that you may hear on the podcast. Okay. So let's go back to Arden being diagnosed. She's two years old. We're in the hospital. It's, of course, incredibly stressful and frightening and not something you were expecting. It certainly wasn't something we were expecting. And it's bad news, good news, bad news, good news, back and forth all day long, right? Here's the bad news. Your child's just been diagnosed with an incurable autoimmune disease, their pancreas doesn't work anymore, it's no longer making insulin, but hey, here's the good news, there's man-made insulin, so unlike prior to the finding of insulin, your child's not just going to die in a couple of days, you're going to be able to manage diabetes with insulin. Well, yay, that's fantastic. Small pause from the doctor. Insulin, however, is very dangerous, and if you use too much of it, it could cause dizziness, seizure, and even death. Well, what? Uh, Okay, great. So let me get it straight. Disease, incurable, pancreas doesn't make insulin, but don't worry, here's some insulin, but be really careful because the insulin could kill you. Okay, I'm clear. Everything's good. Let's go home now. I've got it. That's pretty much how I felt, right? You know, I'm sure a lot of you felt the same way as well. Here's this great medication. It's clearly a lifesaver, but used incorrectly, it's dangerous. This is interesting for me because I can see how these conversations lead me to have ideas for new ones. For instance, episode 29 is called Fear of Insulin and the High BGs that it causes us to accept. And episode 62 is called Unfounded Diabetes Fear. My desire to sort of not use the word fear, I think is where the idea of bold with insulin came from. It's sort of the positive opposite of it. I used to tell people, like, you can't be afraid of insulin. But the word fear just had such a negative connotation, I just switched it up when I named the episode. That's okay. They'll tell me what to do. There's probably instructions, right? Except that, you know, the instructions they give you are very general and don't work day-to-day, let alone person-to-person. It's their guidelines to get you started. It doesn't take you long to figure out that, Living with type 1 diabetes is probably just as much about kind of the vibe of it as it is about the science. It's probably, I mean, honestly, it's probably three times as much, you know, the the vibe is 
such a huge part of how I manage Arden's type one, just my feeling about like, I think her blood sugar is going to go high here. I think it's going to go low. You know, yesterday in a similar situation, this happened. I was trying to calculate, you know, what kind, not just how many carbs, but what kind of carbs, how long are they going to stay in her system? You know, how much exercise did she get? Is that going to affect it? It's a little bit more about the magic than it is about the science and the numbers. But when you first are diagnosed, oh, here's the numbers. If this happens, do this. Inject this much insulin if this happens. If you get low, you want to take in this many carbs. Those, those directions from your doctor are starting points. They're jumping in spots. I think the problem is that, and very rightfully so, you're told to err a little on the side of caution with the blood sugar, right? Stay a little higher so you don't experience a seizure or a low blood sugar incident. I, I, it's insulting that they call them low blood sugar incidences. I've seen two of them. They're seizures. Um, but the idea, right, is, you know, stay a little high to avoid that. Well, I know for me, you know, back then, 2006, no glucose monitor technology, not even an insulin pump, just injecting insulin with syringes. I was probably erring more on the side of caution than I probably should have been. And the more you did it, excuse me, the more you let a high blood sugar be because it felt safe, the more normal it got. And you start thinking, well, you know, what's wrong with 150? 150 is fine. 150 is not fine. I mean, it is, but it isn't. My blood sugar right now, I don't have diabetes. My blood sugar right now is probably 96. Maybe it's 100. Who knows? Maybe it's 80. The point is, is that there's a vast difference between... 90 or 100 and 150 or 200 or wherever it is you're comfortable. So I'm actually going to click over to a website here for a second to talk about this next little bit. So at the moment, I'm on accucheck.com, which is A-C-C-U-C-H-E-K.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. But I'm here because they've got this little A1C calculator. So what did we just say? What is my blood sugar probably right now? Let's just say 100. Well, actually, I have to say 100 because AccuCheck's, <laughs> because AccuCheck's calculator only goes down to 100. So if your average blood sugar is 100, your average A1C for a three-month period should be about 5.1. I think this next little bit really is one of the things that, that hits home for people with the idea that you know, once my doctor told me, hey, my kid's blood sugar is good between anywhere between 90 and 180. And, and I don't understand why their A1C is so high. And this really, it's worth listening to. It might be a little tedious the way I go through it, but I really think this hits home. The difference between shaving some points off of your blood sugar and how your A1C ends up. But what if, like me, you were thinking, well, I'll just stay at 150 because that seems safer. Well, now your A1C goes from 5.1 to 6.85. You're almost in the sevens now because you're erring on the side of caution. But you know it's impossible to keep a blood sugar stable, you know, without vacillating up and down for very long. So what happens when your 150 becomes, I don't know, 170? Well, then the A1C is obviously going to take a leap. And you're hearing me click around on the webpage. Now it's 7.55. So... When I'm online and I see people who have newer diagnosed children and they say, well, I, you know, I put my kid to bed at 180 because I'm scared of what's going to happen overnight. 
and I've seen that. That's a number that, that people seem to like, right? It's high enough over where they think they're going to have a problem, but under 200, just enough that it doesn't really kick your guilt in. An average blood sugar of 180 is an average A1C of 7.89. So we've gone from 100 5.11 for your A1C up to 180, 7.89. That is a huge, huge difference. So you can see that cutting out just 10 points from a blood sugar, right? Seven, let's do 180 at 7.89. I'll change it to 170. Really listen here to just what 10 points does. And you'll see it's 7.55. Well, that's not bad. Well, that makes you think, well, if I could do 170, I could probably do 150. What's 150? 6.85. Things are getting better. I think the problem is, is that you're, you're told err on the side of caution. And before you know it, that becomes comfortable. And before you know it, that comfort turns into habit. And then it becomes difficult to break because of the fear that you feel. So I will tell you that I'm comfortable with Arden sleeping overnight with a blood sugar of 80. I don't have a problem with 80. And I can't even on this website tell you what 80 is because because the website will only go down to 100, I'm assuming, for legal reasons. So let's just talk about Arden's last A1C. Arden's last A1C was after Christmas, so end of 2014. It was 5.9. Wow, it's crazy for me to even hear me say 2014, but those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a long time know that I've been saying now, with a lot of luck, I should knock on some wood probably, that for the past... You've heard me say for the past year and a half, for the past two years, for the past almost three years. Now it's for the past over three years. Arden's A1C has been between 5.8 and 6.2. And I actually think it might have been 5.7 at one point. I don't even remember. And that, that is amazing. It's, it's great to get to the point where your expectation just is an A1C like that. And there's no more of that horrible feeling heading into the endo's office. A different calculator on diabetes.org, which is the ADA website, tells me that an that um, A1C percentage of 5.9 is an average blood sugar of 123. So you can see that even though overnight I'm happy with 80, and trust me, Arden will sleep overnight most nights, 80, 90, you know, down there. Our Dexcom alarm doesn't sound until she's under 80. These days, Arden's low threshold alarm is set at 70. You can still see that her average blood sugar was still 123. And why is that? I said, and I think that's because I think when people think about blood sugars, and I know that we have a Dexcom CGM and not everyone does. Not everyone has the benefit of that, that really great technology. You know, this seems like a great time to thank one of our sponsors, Dexcom. I love my sponsors and I love their products. Makes me happy to read this. As most of you may know, my daughter Arden uses the Dexcom G5 Mobile Continuous Glucose Monitoring System that tracks her glu- Oh boy, my reading, huh? That tracks her glucose levels throughout the day and night, notifying her of highs and lows so she can take action. But that's not all it does. Dexcom also has a share feature, so Arden can have up to five loved ones, like her mother and I, track her numbers in real time. No matter where Arden is or what she's doing, she always has backup. Now, if that's the kind of peace of mind that seems like something that you'd like to know more about, I think you should go to www.dexcom.com forward slash juicebox or click on the link in your show notes. Please keep in mind 
CGM-based treatment requires finger sticks for calibration. May result in hypoglycemia. If calibration not performed or symptoms, expectations do not match CGM readings. You can always contact Dexcom toll-free at 877-339-2664 for detailed indications for use and safety information. Mostly, just click on the show notes or type this in. Find out more about Dexcom. You're hearing me talk about it here. It's an indispensable tool. Um, I don't know where we'd be without it, to be perfectly honest. You can go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. When you do, you'll be well on your way to the things we're talking about here today. And you'll also be supporting the Juicebox podcast. So good for you. Good for me. Thanks so much. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Let's hear what past Scott has to say now. But when you think about blood sugars, you think about this rolling graph line, you know, and and if you have a great A1C, I think people imagine that your graph must be very steady and very low constantly. And, and I just want to tell you that that's not the case. Arden's graph is not steady, um, not nearly as steady as I'd like it to be, and it's not always low. But what I do is I take advantage of the overnight hours because if she goes to bed, and Arden's not a, she doesn't go to bed early. She's uh, going to be 11, but... I think Arden goes to bed between about 9.30 and 10 o'clock on a school night. And she gets up in the morning around 7. So let's say she goes to bed at 10 and wakes up at 7. So I'm going to just do some quick math here. That sounds to me like 9 hours, 6, 7, 8. It is. It's 9 hours. I've, I've, I've done the math in my head. So for 9 hours, if I can keep Arden's blood sugar at, I don't know, we'll say 100 because the calculator says 100. That that's gives me some leeway for the rest of the day to not be able to get a pre-bolus on for lunch and time or to miscalculate some carbs at dinner or to have some sort of a you know a hormone induced rise that that ends up taking up you know two hours of a day where the blood sugar is up at 150 and you can't do anything about it or it's at 200 and you're pouring on insulin trying to get it down that's why it's an average so when we average those 24 hours back together i will tell you that arden's Arden's graph usually gets two blips a day where her blood sugar goes up and it takes us a little while to get it back down. But then we have nine hours at night where it's, you know, most nights without, you know, listen, growth hormones, things that go wrong could definitely be higher. But on the average every month, most nights, 80, 90, 100, I try to keep her down there. I know that sounds scary um, to some people. But that's a that's a fear that at some point you I think you have to get past because because you can't protect constantly for today and never think about tomorrow. You just can't do that because the long term effects. And I know this is something that we don't really talk about a lot because it's sad and uncomfortable. But we all know what the long term effects of of type one diabetes can be if you have high blood sugars and they are significant and life altering and life changing and life ending. So you have to find yourself a balance. You have to find a number that, that you think I can live with this. This won't make me neurotic or I'll still be able to sleep. Now, you know, if your insurance can cover it, um, the Dexcom share really does really does change how overnights happen because now you're getting an alarm back in your room if your blood sugars are going down or get below or above a certain level. 
I was talking about Dexcom way before Dexcom was cool and way before they were a sponsor. It is a game changer. I'm, I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And prior to having a Dexcom CGM, I was not as bold with these blood sugars as I am now. And you do have to be aggressive, but cautious. You have to be respectful without being afraid. And the technology helps a lot. It's a good example of being aggressive. I, you know, I'll just use today at lunchtime. Arden's blood sugar, 101 diagonal down a half an hour before we're going to pre-bolus for lunch. So there's a lot of stuff here to think about. But 10.30, we pre-bolus for lunch when Arden's at school. But she doesn't actually start eating till about 10.55. This is one of these things that early on I had no idea would be so valuable in the podcast. But I hear back from a lot of you about just talking through blood sugars and boluses and things like that. Hearing someone else talk it from front to back is helpful, which I'm glad about. I just, trust me, the first time I did it, I, I didn't know that. So if she's 100 diagonal down at 10 o'clock, it was fair to say that by 10.30, she was going to be a little lower and wasn't going to give me a lot of latitude to do a, a big pre-bolus like I would like to do. So I had her eat like 10 carbs of a piece of candy, just stick a piece of candy in her mouth while she was at school. And when 10.30 came along, Dexcom had her blood sugar at 85 and steady. Now, I knew the sugar from the candy was in there, and we were going to get a bounce at some point, but it wasn't there yet, so I couldn't, you know, I, I, I made my calculations like it wasn't there. So I gave her her insulin for her lunch, 10.30, and we did an extended bolus. Gave her 50% of it right away at 10.30 and told the pod, the um, her Omnipod, give the other 50% as an extended bolus over the next 30 minutes. So that basically... She's getting a pre-bolus of half of the insulin, and at 10.55, when she goes and sits down with her food, the rest of the insulin is in. It's not active yet, probably, but it's in, and it's going. Okay, so now we're to another real staple of how I think about this. It's the concept of understanding man-made insulin and how it works in your body or the person's body you're helping with their diabetes. When you put insulin in, when does it start moving your blood sugar down? How fast does it happen? Understanding how it works is the key to making all these decisions. Not five minutes after 11, I, um, I get a, a warning on my, on my phone from her Dexcom share. Her blood sugar is hit her high, her high water mark. I mean, we, don't, we try not to go above 160. Arden's high threshold today is 130. It's straight up. Now, okay that some of that insulin hasn't been in for very long and that bolusing more right now is probably not what a doctor would tell you to do. It's not probably not what a doctor would tell you to do. It's definitely not what a doctor would tell you to do. They would tell you that insulin's not even live yet. It's, it hasn't even started working some of it. You've extended it. Um, don't do anything. Don't do anything would be the call of the day. But at 169 straight up, which means her blood sugar is rising at two points per minute, or greater. I texted Arden and I said, I want to increase your basal by 95% for a half an hour, and I want to bolus a half a unit. My half a unit is just my blanket. I don't like the way the arrow is going up. Bolus. Okay, guys, people have heard this podcast for a while now. Say it with me. Stop the arrow. Stop the arrow. If it's rising, if it's falling, all you need to do is stop the arrow. Don't overtreat. Just stop the arrow. And if you don't have a Dexcom CGM, stop the rise, stop the fall. Just bump and nudge, bump and nudge. Don't overreact. Arrow's going up when I don't think it should. Half a unit. 
And why a half a unit? Half a unit because, you know, a juice box is, for Arden, 15 carbs, about 0.85 insulin, maybe one unit of insulin. So let's, let's bolus the equivalent of a juice box because I think I'm right. History is telling me that she shouldn't be going up this quickly after we've bolus for lunch. But if she does... If it is for, you know, just a blip and it's going to come back down, then we'll cover it with a juice box. So I don't want to give so much insulin that a juice box wouldn't fix things if her blood sugar went down quickly. But I want to give enough to stop that arrow. I want to stop that up arrow. I am aggressive about stopping up arrows. And, you know, in the, in the, oh, what's this? Arden's got gym soon. We'll be texting in a second if you hear that in the background, but. Her blood sugar is now, it's an hour and a half, excuse me, two hours since that pre-bolus, and her blood sugar is 150. And and I know that probably sounds pretty good, 150, two hours after her lunchtime bolus at school, but I really wish it was 130 right now. Now, with Jim coming up, I'm going to admit to you, probably not going to do much about it. I don't think I would bolus while there was still active insulin on the way to Jim. That doesn't sound, not at, not at a 150. If her blood sugar was 200 right now, I would absolutely bolus, um, but not at 150. So now there's past Scott talking. Today, Scott, future Scott, me, what I would tell you is if she's 150 two hours after lunch, then we did not time her insulin correctly or use enough and or both. And that's something if you listen to the podcast, you're going to hear me talk more about. If your blood sugar is high, you have either mistimed your bolus or miscalculated your bolus, or a combination of the two. There is no reason Arden couldn't have gone into gym on this day with a blood sugar of 110 with no active insulin left. You know, if, if I just would have maybe given her a little more up front in a pre-bolus or pre-bolus 10 minutes sooner, or I don't know anymore because it's a couple of years ago. But there's a way to balance the timing and the amount of the insulin where her blood sugar would never have gotten to 150. And I, and I can accomplish that now a lot better than I could back then. Does that sound aggressive to you? Does it sound scary? It did to me at one point. Um, and I'm sure it does to you now. Again, the technology helps. Having a CGM will make it easier for you because you'll see a fall before it happens with any luck. And it's not, not as scary. So the doctor tells you to err on the side of caution. It's good advice. But then it becomes comfortable and you probably live inside of those higher blood sugars much longer than you could. You know you have to change. You know you need to be more aggressive. You know the A1C is up because you're not using enough insulin or because you're erring on the side of caution too much. But you have to find... I think there's a big difference between when you're ready to make that decision and when you're comfortable making that decision. This is amazing. I can I quite literally hear myself learning while I'm doing the podcast. That's why the future episodes, I sound more aggressive and more comfortable. It's, a, it's This is stunning. I'm, this podcast is a gift for me. If you've ever felt like this podcast has helped you, just know that by the process of me putting it together... I, I'm being helped just as much, maybe more than you are. To be fair, the balance may be unfair. I might be, I might be getting more out of this than you are. This is, uh, this is how I'm finding my way through my path, by talking about it with you. And I don't know that you're ever going to be comfortable making the decision. Ready is when in your mind you say to yourself, I understand 
that my child's blood sugars are higher because I'm not using enough insulin. I understand that the A1Cs are higher than I want them to be because I'm not using enough insulin. This is so early on in the podcast, it's before I realized that as many people, adults with diabetes, would listen to this as parents of children. I don't think you're going to be comfortable using more, but I think I can give you a couple of tricks to, you know, get yourself there because the comfort comes later. Obviously, after you do it a number of times and nothing goes wrong, you become more comfortable, you be a little more bold, and you push, and you push, and you push. An overnight blood sugar of 80, uh, I want to be really clear, would have scared that crap out of me before a CGM. I never would have done that. Uh, but having the ability to see a blood sugar falling or rising is, is a game changer. So once you're ready, once you understand that you need to be doing this, do it incrementally. You know, whatever that means, if, if you're seeing that a dinnertime bolus is a certain number, just randomly put a number on it. Let's say you're using four units of insulin at dinner, five, six, doesn't matter, whatever it is, and you're seeing high blood sugars two hours later, an hour and a half later, well, just use another half a unit and something like that and see what that does. You know, just try it. Keep an eye on it. You know, if you don't have a CGM test, but, but give it a shot. Because I bet what you would find is that after a couple of dinner times, maybe that half a unit was good. Maybe it was, maybe it was what we needed. So that thought has morphed now into this idea. If I bolus five units at a meal and an hour later it takes another unit for me to bring my blood sugar down, then I needed six units at my meal. Maybe I'll try a little more. Maybe you're on a pump and you can go very incrementally, 0.5 at a time. And the next day you try 0.6 over and you get a slightly better result again. And just keep trying it. Show yourself that it's not the end of the world. Show yourself it's not going to cause some great problem. It's not like your blood sugars are at 90 and you're trying to get them to 85. Those are, those are tight tolerances. I'm talking about people who are happy to see a blood sugar of 200 two hours after lunch, two hours after you know a meal. People who are looking at a 180 overnight and going, hey, it was steady at 180. That's great. Well, what's the difference between steady at 180 and steady at 130? Go for steady at 130. Right? What 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 are you gonna do? I mean, what are you afraid? You're afraid it's gonna fall and you're not gonna have time to, to figure it out. But I mean, everyone's different, but I don't think Arden starts to feel dizzy until she's under 70. So even if you went from 130 to 80. You know, in Arden's situation, if she goes from 130 to 80 overnight, I'm still in a good space for her. That's 50 points. 50 points. And we did it before, and let's do it again. 6.85 is your average A1C if your blood sugar is 150. If it's 100, it's 5.1. Now, uh, some quick math for me. That's a 1.7 difference in A1C between 150 and 100. So 1.7 for, 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 for 50 points, which means that if you can be comfortable at 130 instead of 180, you're, that's how far your A1C is going to go down, 1.7. So think about that right now. If your child's A1C is 8, 8, would you be much happier if it was 6.7? What if it was 9? Would you be more happy if it was 7.7? 50 points will do that. Hey, let's take a moment to thank our other sponsor, Omnipod. Now, Omnipod, as you may know, is the world's best and only tubeless insulin pump. So you are pumping insulin without all the tubing. It's not all snaking around in your clothes or getting caught on door handles. 
Omnipod's not like that. It might be hard for you to picture because in your mind, when you think of an insulin pump, you might think of this thing that you clip on your belt and then this tube goes off to this infusion set. Omnipod is nothing like that, baby. It is the futuristic of futuristic. But, but you know, I think that this ad for Omnipod is best served by me saying this today. We're gonna start talking about the idea of moving a 150 blood sugar to a 130, a 130 to a 90. That is bumping and nudging. It's another thing. At the end of this episode, I'm gonna kind of encapsulate all of my, my sort of staples and ideas, but it's difficult to make a decision to move a 120 blood sugar to 90 if you have to inject. You know, if, if I need to pull out a pen and stick myself, or if I need to get out a needle and draw up insulin, to try to move you from a 120 to a 90, you might say, yeah, it's not worth the time. Or maybe it's inconvenient because I'm at school or on the bus. But if you can just pull out this wireless handheld controller and push a couple of buttons and all of a sudden you're delivering enough insulin to move your 120 to 90, you are now bumping and you are nudging your blood sugars around. You are stopping small rises, excuse me, you're, stop, you're stopping little drops with temp basils, and you're moving a uh, blood sugar 10, 20, 30, 40 points to achieve this A1C that you're looking for while keeping your standard deviation where, where you want it because you're not bouncing all over the place. You're bumping and you're nudging. If you want that kind of control and you want it to be tubeless, if you want to use the insulin pump that my daughter uses, go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. They will send you out a free demo so you can really see what it would be like in your life. And you'd be helping the podcast, myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. 50 points will take you down that far. Now that is to me, that's when it hit me. You know, when, when I started really understanding that, I thought, well, then I want to shoot for lower. Now, this next bit comes from having a Dexcom. I noticed something. You set a high line and a low line. Right? I don't want my blood sugar to go below this. I don't want it to go over that. If it does, I want it to alarm. I think when I first got the receiver, it was 250 for the high, and the low was like 130. Like I was like, oh my God, under 130. She's low. And one day I realized I do a pretty good job of keeping Arden's blood sugar between 130 and 250. Here it comes. I haven't probably ever said it before on the podcast, but I say it all the time now. Often, you get what you expect. It's advice straight out of kindergarten, but it ends up working. I wonder how much is expectation. That was my question for myself. I've set these lines up. These are my expectations for myself, and I'm able to meet these expectations. What if I close the tolerances on my expectations? So I did. I pushed the high number from 250 to 200, and I don't think you're going to need to guess what happened. I was still staying between the lines most of the time. I set a new expectation for myself. And I was staying with it. So I pushed it again. I said to myself, 190, just a little bit. What's 190? I could stay there. Well, forget 130 is the low. Let's go to 120. So look, do you think I could keep her between 190 and 120? Turns out I could. It turns out if you stop and really think about it, the only difference between a blood sugar of 90 and a blood sugar of 190 so what do you think the difference is between 90 and 190? I'm going to go into a fairly artful description of it right now. But in the end, the difference is fear. It is your fear. I'm going to talk about it here. And the way I lay it out is going to be the basis for how I talk about it again in an episode called Texting Diabetes, which is where we talk about how Arden and I handle school days. In your mind is 
that if 190 starts falling, you have time to do something about it. If 90 starts falling, it's more of a panic situation. Do you want to send your child with a blood sugar of 90 in a car with somebody who doesn't know anything about diabetes? No, you probably don't want to. But if you add education and the ability to speak, communication, and a Dexcom that you can see the blood sugar as it's happening in case it's beeping away in your kid's bag and they don't notice it, then all of a sudden 90 is not scary. 90 is completely reasonable. Oh, it's 90, diagonal down, I'll text the parent. Hey, you know what? Her blood sugar's falling. Can you have her drink half of a juice box? Can you have her take a glucose tablet? Can you do this? You know, whatever your adjustment's going to be, it's going to be. So think about what I said there because it's a leap. The only difference between a blood sugar of 190 and 90 in your mind is padding. It's time. It's the ability to react without a low. But after years go by, you won't need that much time to react anymore. If you're newly diagnosed, I completely, 100% in my heart, understand that a 90 blood sugar would, could be scary for you and that you might need that time to make better decisions. But trust me, as time goes on, you'll get better and better at this. It's not going to get easier, but you'll get better and better at it. You won't need as much time. It won't seem like a panic situation when a 90 is going down. I don't feel like that anymore. I I don't, I mean, I don't, I cannot remember the last time I panicked about a low blood sugar, even a falling blood sugar, because I've got so much information, right? So much time in the simulator that I know what to do to make it stop. I take the information I have from what we've been doing that day, what food we've used, how much insulin we've got going, and I look at historically what it takes to stop a 90 diagonal down, what it takes to stop a 72 arrows down, and I just make that decision almost without having to think about it. And I get if you're not in that spot, you need to be a little higher. But if you just continue to close the tolerances on what you're willing to accept as a blood sugar, then I believe, in, at least in my experience, if you can hit inside of those lines, then just squeeze the lines a little bit. And I bet you'll keep hitting. I really, I believe you will. Okay, now if you're not at that place yet, I get that, but that's my goal. That's the goal of this podcast is to get you from where you are to where I am as fast as possible and as safely as possible, but without all the heart wrench and the gut wrenching horrible days and all that stuff. And and so I'm going to give you an idea of something that's been going on while I'm editing this episode together. Arden contacted me at 1126 AM to tell me it was time to pre-bolus for her lunch. But her insulin needs were not exactly matching up with her blood sugar. Her blood sugar was 86. Now, Arden's blood sugar has been between about 90 and 100 and um, about 90 and 110 for the last like three hours while she's at school. And we still need to pre-bolus. We need to get insulin happening, right? I know that my daughter cannot start eating without insulin that is working in her system. But an 86 blood sugar is tough to pre-bolus. So what I did was I gave her the entire amount of her insulin in an extended bolus with 0% up front today. So that means that the nine units I gave her for her lunch started going in the minute she pushed the button and finishes in 30 minutes. So that there is some active insulin happening when she sits down 10 or 15 minutes after we push these buttons and starts to eat. And right now her blood sugar is 81 and she's probably been in lunch for about 20 minutes. I'm telling you, it will happen. It can happen. You can get there. Let's get back to talking about insulin, shall we? I'm talking about this today because a lot of people on the blog ask me after I write about different things, about A1Cs and things like that. I, I always hear about like 
you know, I always talk about being bold with insulin and being, being bold in general with diabetes. And I get a lot of emails, correspondence privately back from people who say things like, you know, I took your advice about being more aggressive. My son's A1C fell. Um, you know, I'm being bolder. It's hard. It's scary, but I'm doing it. I want to thank you. And these are some of the most um, heartwarming notes that, that I receive. Um, when I stop and think about when I stop and think about kids who are walking around with in-range blood sugars that aren't causing them to feel foggy because their blood sugar is not high, and, and I think about their A1Cs being more where they want them and that what that means for them health-wise and what that means for their parents stress-wise, I mean, this all, it's, it's, just, um, it's just information that, that you want for there to be in the world, for, for people like you to hear. It's more difficult to write about these things because you feel like everything in writing sort of seems very official. And I don't want people to think that I'm saying, do this and do this and do this and everything will be fine because that's certainly not true. Your diabetes will absolutely vary from person to person. And it is something that takes time for you to kind of figure out the flow of, you know, to get the vibe of your child's diabetes and, and, and the things that affect it and don't affect it. I really felt like the podcast was a place to talk about this because you can hear in my voice when I'm telling you, like, look, this isn't advice. This is just what I do. This is how I feel about it. And I believe that if you could try to feel a little bit about this too, uh, in, in a similar way, that, that you might have some similar luck with, with, with a little bit of luck. Uh, but what pushed me over the edge to do the podcast, besides the emails, was Arden's last A1C, 5.9, right around Christmas time. And we go in and the our, uh, our nurse practitioner comes in the room with the, with the test result. And she says, my God, you, you decreased. Not a lot. I think we went from 6.2 to 5.9. But any decrease is amazing. Um, and she says, I can't tell you how many people at the holiday time of year, I tell them, oh, it only went up a point. It's okay. You did good. She's like, you don't see decreases at the holidays because of all the extra meals and food. How did you do that? And I thought about it for a second because I didn't do anything differently than I did the quarter before. All I did was act aggressively, not wildly and appropriately, but aggressively. Arrow up, I want to stop that arrow. High blood sugar, I want to get it back down as soon as possible. I would much rather get a blood sugar down quickly than to watch it exist for three hours and bring it down slowly. Translation for those of you who've been listening for longer, it's far easier to stop a low or falling blood sugar than it is to affect the high one. So I'd much rather be playing down around 100 than up in the 300s. I don't want to spend a bunch of time nickeling and diming to death. A 300, oh, try a unit, not another half, do this, increase the basil. Three hours later, oh, great, we're finally at 220. That's time to eat again. Back to 350. That is what I mean. That idea turned into me saying to you, it is far easier to stop a low or falling blood sugar than it is to affect a high blood sugar. And now that is something that if you listen to the podcast, rings true in your head. You've seen it happen in your life. I, I, this is amazing. I love going back and listening to the old podcast. I can see where things struck me for the first time. Oh my gosh. this is. It's just, I hope you're still enjoying this. I think this is fantastic. I mean, the less time with the high blood sugar, in my opinion, the better. So that's how we got 5.9. We were just bold. We were aggressive. We weren't scared. And when the times came where we did use a little too much insulin, we combated the insulin with, you know, 
something that works quickly for Arden. Juice a lot of the time. Just to kind of go over everything one last time. Aggressive but cautious. Respectful but not afraid. Definitely have to lean on the technology. I, I genuinely don't know how to give you advice about doing this without a Dexcom CGM. I, I feel like it would be impossible for me to do. Overnights, find a way to be comfortable with a steady lower than what you're used to now because there's so much A1C that can get cut out like we talked about earlier. Difference between 180 and 130 is huge. Difference between 130 and 80 same difference. Stop and think about that for a minute. At some point, Arden's blood sugar overnight was 180, and now I'm comfortable with it at 80. It's obviously not always 180. It obviously isn't always 80, but those are our goals, right? Those are what we're shooting for. 100 points, 100 point difference. And that's the story of how Arden's A1C went from 9 to 8 to 7 to 5.9. And don't get me wrong, not just insulin. Um, there were a couple of meals that things we cut out of eating. Arden used to eat cereal for breakfast. She doesn't eat anymore. Two years later, I'll tell you, she doesn't eat a lot of cereal anymore. But when she does, I know how to bolus for it without a spike. There's a great blog about Fruit Loops on, uh, on Ardensday.com where uh, Arden came out of an endo appointment and just asked me one day, how can I get my A1C to come down? And I said, well, you could probably stop eating cereal in the morning, that would help. And we got a big reduction out of that. So it's not just insulin and being aggressive. There's Basil up from his nap. It's not, it's not just insulin and being aggressive. It, it is also diet and exercise and a lot of other things. But, but anyway, while my, my nurse practitioner, I, I talk like she's my nurse practitioner, while Arden's nurse practitioner is asking me, how did we get a reduction at the holidays? And I explained to her, she paused and she looked so serious and thoughtful and sad all at the same time. And she said, getting people to not be afraid of insulin is probably the hardest thing I do. Then I decided to make a podcast about it. And it looks like we're, uh, we're going to take a little break here while Basil finishes barking. And I'm going to come back in a second and just talk about Apple watch for a second and a couple of little news things. And I'm going to let you out of here and get back to your life. Okay. I'm going to talk here for a minute. Now, this podcast episode, you know, geez, I'm at episode 99 in March of 2017. March of 2017, I'm in episode 99. If I go all the way back, there's a lot of clicking here, but if I go all the way back and again back, wow, to episode 11. Episode 11 was put online April 14th, 2015. You're going to get this one in March of 2017. It's two years later. I'm going to tell you that in those two years and 100 episodes, I've learned a lot. I, I genuinely appreciate that you guys listen to the podcast because, as I mentioned before, the process of me putting the podcast out is it's sort of the... You know, it's, it's, the, it's the okay I give myself to sit down and think about diabetes for an hour every week. And that time, that time to consider helps me figure out the next thing that I want to say to you. And the next thing I want to say to you is based in something that I have found real success in, repeatable success. I don't come on here and just start blabbing about something that worked one time for me. If I'm telling you something here, I have seen historical data that tells me this is worth to, to share. So over these last two years, 
I've sort of broken down my idea of managing type 1 diabetes to a couple of simple concepts. They are, obviously, this first one. Be bold with insulin. Or don't be afraid. Find a way to put your fear away. It's very important. The idea that you have to bump and nudge blood sugars, that you can't just take a 120. You want to make a 120 a 90. You want to be able to say, hey, I see a 60. I need to get it to 90, not to 200. Bump and nudge, bump and nudge. So lots of ways to accomplish that. It is particularly easy if you have an insulin pump like an Omnipod and you can make those kind of fine-tuned adjustments. Pre-bolusing. Absolute, absolute game changer. If you are not pre-bolusing meals, it is going to be, I'm going to come out and say, almost impossible to get your A1C to come down, to get your spikes to go away. These, these you know, after-meal spikes, they're not going to go away without pre-bolusing. And pre-bolusing is... At its core, the act of understanding how man-made insulin works in your body. The simple idea that if I put a piece of fruit in my mouth, a banana, at noon, and I start eating, the sugar from that banana is going to begin to push my blood sugar up quicker than insulin is going to start working. So I can't put the insulin and the banana in at 12 o'clock. I have to put the insulin in at 11.50 or at 11.45 or whatever that time ends up being for you. That's what I mean about you have to understand how man-made insulin works in you. But I need to know when do I put that insulin in so that when I take that first bite of banana, that insulin and that sugar from that banana, they get involved in a tug of war that neither of them can win. The food can't pull your blood sugar higher and the insulin can't pull your blood sugar lower because they're both pulling with equal force at the exact right time when your blood sugar is at 85. Think about the harmony of that. There's your blood sugar, 85, insulin pulling down, carbs pulling up, and it's just sitting at 85. No spike. That, that's understanding man-made insulin. That's employing pre-bolusing. That is not being afraid. <sighs> when you get those ideas... This whole thing just goes to another level for you. And I wish that I could sit down and lay them out for you, like A, B, C. Do this, do that, do this, it works. Do 30% of this and blah, blah, blah. Give you these firm numbers. But what I've learned over these two years is that what works is that when you listen to me sit down and have conversations with other people who have diabetes and we talk these things through, that's where the understanding comes from. It sort of slowly builds in you. And now, you know, it might sound like a cheap way for me to say, I need you to go back and listen to all the episodes. But in my opinion, if you want to get to where I am, and I'm not ahead of you because I know something amazing, by the way, I've just been at it longer than you have. I just have the opportunity to sit down and talk about it and think it over while you're at work. I'm recording another podcast, talking to somebody else, having these epiphanies. So I just see myself as slightly farther down a path than you are. And I'm just the guy who's willing to turn around and yell to you, hey, there's a hole coming up. Don't fall in it. Because I think that it's not, well, I just think that it's a very human thing. If you have information like this, you need to, in my opinion, you need to give it back, right? So that other people don't have to fight the same fights you had to fight. And that's what this podcast is. So I know it's 100 episodes in. My best advice is to go back to the beginning and just listen through. There may be a couple episodes where you listen and go, I didn't really learn anything, Scott. You know, like a filler episode of your favorite, uh, of your favorite television show, but it's not really a filler. 
it's advancing the story. And sometimes you have to listen to me interview somebody so I can get to another idea. So I can advance my story and then pass it on to you. Okay. I hope you like this. I, I enjoyed doing it. I might do it again with a couple of the other episodes that you guys seem to really enjoy. Um, I do invite you to go back to episode 11 and listen to Bold with Insulin without me yammering over top of it if you think that would be helpful. In the end, though, please, you know, I could ask you to leave a review on iTunes and that does help the podcast get found by other people. But I really think that our community is such that the best thing I can say to you is if this podcast is helping you, please share it with other people who you think it might help. Get your A1C down. Get someone else's down. Have somebody else's kid or brother not have the that horrible feeling of their blood sugar fluctuating all over the place. Like share this information with somebody else. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring this podcast. Because if you like the fact that I have the time to sit down and ruminate over these ideas and come up with these theories and spit them back out to you, that is only possible because we are being sponsored and supported by some really great places and, and, and technology that I believe in above all else. You go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox or dexcom.com forward slash juicebox to find out more. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And I think you'd be taking a huge step in your care if, if you uh, looked into those devices as well. For those of you that have been there from the beginning, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that you've supported the podcast. This podcast went from a couple of downloads a day to hundreds upon thousands of downloads a day. And uh, it just warms my heart. Also, I hope I've gotten better at this. You know, I've learned some things. Like for instance, I don't leave my telephone plugged in anymore when I'm recording. My phone is ringing. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hey, hi, good afternoon. My name is Robert, calling you from Green Energy Solar. Am I speaking with the homeowner? You are, Robert, but I do not have any interest in solar energy for my house. But thank you for calling. And could you, while I've got you, put me on your do not call list, please? That sounds like a no. He just hung up. Sorry about that. I'm not against solar energy. I just don't think it's a perfected thing yet. And I'm really scared about putting like panels all over the roof of my house because I feel like what happens when like the roof underneath gets weak or anyway, I have too many questions about it. I like the idea of solar. I don't like the idea of putting panels on my house. I don't feel like I have to explain this to you. See, I'm getting better all the time. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to 100 episodes of the Juice Box Podcast. I very much look forward to bringing you many, many more. Listen, I want you to be on the Juice Box Podcast. I want you to come on and be a guest. I want you to share your story. I want you to tell your, tell your problems, tell your heartaches, you know, ask your questions. That's how other people learn. That's how I learn. That's how the podcast continues to help people live their lives with type 1 diabetes. Not just live them, but live them well. We need to hear the stories so that we can hear ourselves in those stories. And everybody always says... I, every email I get starts, Scott, I want to be on the podcast, but I don't think my story is valuable enough. I'm telling you that everyone thinks that. And so far, everyone who said that in an email has been 100% wrong. Everyone's story has been amazingly valuable to me and to you. Be part of it. Contact me. You can contact me at ardensday.com. Scroll down to the contacts, juiceboxpodcast.com. Throw me an email. There's links in the show notes. I'm not going to lie, you're going to think your voice sounds strange for a couple of minutes, but then you'll get used to it and everything will be fine.
It always is.